0: Hey friends and family and fans of biblical genetics, thanks for tuning in, this is Dr. Rob. I have got an exciting one for you today. It's going to be a little techno nerdy I think though, so do me a favor and after you listen to this, Write me a comment or ask a question and I will do a follow-up episode where I try to take these cookies and put them on a lower shelf. really struggling with this because I've got a lot I want to say and it's a lot of theoretical stuff and really cool stuff and really important, but I've never actually said these things out loud before. And so when they came out this time, they came out. Maybe a little too complicated. I'm not sure, but I need, I need your feedback. So please shoot me a line, uh, send me an email, contact me through biblicalgenetics.com or on Facebook or whatever you like, and just ask, and I will compile these questions and I'll try to put them together into a another episode in the future on a similar topic, but maybe a little easier to understand. I have been working really hard on an exciting new project. It's going to be a multi-part session, i've uh, run this by my employer asked him permission to be able to speak about this in public because uh, well it might be a little controversial the subject is the use of aborted fetal tissue in medical research that is going to be coming up in the next several weeks Uh, one of the reasons why this episode was delayed uh, like so many other ones but this one in particular because i was working on that so hard um off hours on hours Trying to put stuff together and i was learning so much and what i've been learning is very disheartening very sad somewhat shocking even though i kind of expected it it was still shocking the scale of what i'm discovering is not what i expected and this impacts the vaccine controversy it's going to impact uh, the future of genetic engineering and doctor's visits and what the doctor might tell you and i talked a little bit about this in a much earlier episode about human genetic engineering but this is just one step higher in the controversy category that's going to be coming out next couple of weeks um uh e oh uh um yeah some of you um listened to my last episode i'm so sorry (laughs) i was sitting there and i was apologizing for things and um the episode that i released was my raw audio not the final edited version i have no idea how that happened i am shocked I'm glad that I didn't yell or swear or burp or anything else more rudely on the camera, on the on the microphone. Um, I'm a human being, and I get frustrated with this, and I am imperfect, and I can be very rough and crude sometimes. And I'm actually shocked at my own sinfulness. And usually, when I'm by myself, I let things hang a little bit looser, and then I just clean it up later on. This is not something I'd ever want to release to the public. I didn't even listen to it again because I. I, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know what I might have said. Yes, I am a Christian, and but I am a fallen Christian. And I know that, no, not totally, but I'm more aware than I when I was a young man, the depths of my sin. And it is shocking how bad a person can be. And I never would want uh, someone to have a microphone into my mind. And I'm sure you're probably like that also, because we all struggle with things. And yet very rarely does something like that come out in. Public, and yet I think I did all right. I don't. I don't remember sitting there getting really angry about the the recording I was doing. I do remember starting again and starting again and starting again. This is what I typically do. Uh, right now, actually, I just had a running monologue. I have not stopped in three minutes and forty five seconds, which is almost a record for me. Usually, I'll say something, I'll back up, I'll say it again, I'll back up, I'll say it again, and then I'll think of a new way to say it and try it again. And so my, my takes are multiple takes of the same thing. And, and almost always, the first couple of minutes are really hard. I've had to tell all the people that I work with, because we're doing a lot of videos right now, a lot of audio podcasts, and if they want me to do the introduction for something, I'll start it. Okay, hold on, hold on, I'll start it again. Oh, wait, 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 I'll do it again. So i tend to do things three or four times before I finally get on a roll. It takes me a couple of minutes to get going. That's just because the way I'm built, and I don't know why, but uh, you heard that on that recording if you downloaded it. Now, I did replace the recording, so if you downloaded it after, I don't know, about 12 hours, then you got the newer recording. I'm not sure if, like, iTunes or Spotify gets a copy of that onto their servers. I think they refer to my server. I hope, anyway. Um, but I don't know if they have a buffer where, you know, if someone downloads one, then they save it for the next person. I have no clue. So if you got one of those busted ones, this is a, uh, a long explanation of me just saying, I am sorry. Please forgive me. That should never have happened. And I'm horribly embarrassed. I'm being more honest with you right now than even I probably should be. But this is life and I like being an open person and I like um, talking about what's going on inside my mind and inside my heart. Because we are all fighting with the world, With our own selfishness and sinfulness, with our own sins, we are wrestling with God and usually not in the right way because of human nature, because of the fall and the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our own selves. And I am not free from that. And you might have just seen a little window into my soul, but we'll see. So let's get on to this one. Um, I'm going to thank people at the end. Uh, you'll hear me uh, by name mention several people uh, that have helped sponsor the show. I've got a couple of new Patreon supporters. I am so happy about this. I now have four. Now four doesn't sound like a lot, but four divided by zero is infinity. And I, one year ago, I had zero. So my uh, my show costs from Patreon are almost covered per month just from those four people. Um, I am not getting any advertising dollars for this. Um, So if you're listening to advertising on your uh, podcasting platform, well, that's not going to me. That's just your podcasting platform making money. I don't have any sponsors yet. My show is not very large, but we are growing. And I am watching it grow, and it's really exciting to see it grow. And I would really appreciate it if you would share this with other people, just to tell people, hey, man, I got this super nerdy guy who talks about genetics and the Bible, and I'm really enjoying it. Well, at least I hope you could say that. And then just say, you need to listen to this. That is a great way to get promotion, word of mouth. So let's get into this. I'm going to be discussing mutations and the non-randomness of mutations. It sounds really esoteric. But on the other hand, for a long time, evolutionary theory has really depended upon the thought that mutations are random, unpredictable, undirected. Evolution doesn't work in a tunnel. Evolution works on a plane where it can go in any direction. And yet mutations do not go in any direction. This really is a big deal. Some of what I said will actually turn out to be nothing. Some of it's going to be turned out to be very important. I don't know. I, I just threw up a bunch of ideas. Some of them are better than others. But in the end, if mutations aren't random, then evolution is not random. So we can apply an evolutionary theory into the creation context. We can say, yeah, here's creation. Now let's look at change over time. What can change? How much change? What direction is the change? And what we're seeing in genetics, it's beautifully. It fits beautifully with with the the idea that god created it does not necessarily fit beautifully with the idea that everything evolved by itself but i will let you answer that question for yourselves over time hopefully this is going to help you out a little bit let's get into it mutations are not as random as you might think Hey, I'm Dr. Rob and welcome to another exciting episode of Biblical Genetics. Today's topic, mutations are not as random as you might think. We've been learning a lot about mutations over the last decade or two, specifically over the last couple of years, and all of a sudden scientists are realizing that things are not quite as random as they might have thought. Now, the randomness is an important property of evolutionary theory because if if mutations are random, then any change is possible. If mutations are random, then all changes are equally as likely. If mutations are not random, it constrains evolutionary possibilities. It was also an an easy simplifying assumption that they made early on, where they could just look at things and just assume everything would happen at the same rate throughout time and across the genome, and it made it easier to make extrapolations. But as we have learned through many other areas of science, early extrapolations often die when more data has been accumulated. And the idea that mutations are random is running up to some very significant theoretical problems. A brand new paper just came out. It's titled Non BDNA, a major contributor to small and large scale variation in nucleotide substitution frequencies across the genome. ScienceDaily.com also had a summary article, which will be linked in the show notes along with the, the main paper. Unusual DNA folding increases the rates of mutations. Now, all of you are familiar with the double helix of DNA. It's called BDNA. Everyone's familiar with it. Classic shape, 1950s, Watson and Crick. They told us this, DNA makes us, this, this helical structure. But a large fraction of the genome actually has other shapes, things that you're probably not as familiar with. ADNA is another form. It's a, very similar to BDNA, but it's kind of like a fat coil instead of a thin coil. And then there's ZDNA where the coil actually goes in the other direction. And then there's quadruplex DNA where a section of DNA can form a loop and then the loop can make a helix with itself. And then we have cruciform DNA, where two loops can pop out of the DNA strand and bond to each other in sort of like a cross shape, very similar to the uh, transfer RNA shape that we, we learn about in high school biology. There's also slip strand structures where you have two loops pop out, not right opposite each other, but slightly offset and make different loops. And what they've discovered is that About 13% of the human genome is non-BDNA and these areas of the genome have a much higher mutation rate than others. I'll read you a quote from one of the authors. She said, mutations are usually thought to be so rare that when we see the same mutation in different individuals, the assumption is that those individuals shared an ancestor who passed the mutation to them both. Wait a minute. If the mutation rate is so high that we start getting mutational saturation, then the same mutation might appear in different lineages. Well, that might explain some of the very strange things we see in the family trees of like Y-chromosomes and mitochondrial DNA. We see a lot of lineages that are separated by one mutation. Well, what if they're not? What if they're actually totally separate lineages and it just so happens that that mutation occurred in two different people? See, one of the assumptions that drives all these phylogenetic trees that we see in genetics is that mutations only appear once. So if you see someone with a mutation, you know who their ancestor is, always. Now, of course, I'm saying always. It's not really true. Everyone has known that repeat mutations can occur, but the assumption is that over vast time periods, you don't get a lot of repeat mutations. It's something called the infinite alleles model, a simplifying assumption that a lot of evolutionary extrapolation has been based upon. It's just the idea that if you've got 3 billion letters and only maybe a few hundred or a few thousand mutations, well, the probability of the same mutation appearing in the same place in two different people is remote and infinitely small. So they just say, it's just infinite alleles, mutations are totally random, and we can build beautiful trees based on the data that we see. And that's no longer true based on the new studies. Let me read you the rest of this quote. But it's possible that the mutation rate is so high in some of these non-B DNA regions that the same mutation could occur independently in several different individuals. If this is true, it would change how we think about evolution. You know, it's funny, because Charles Darwin required infinite mutability. He had this idea that that variation was, was on a spectrum and there wasn't any genes he didn't know about DNA or anything like that, but that variation could just be pushed as far as he wanted in any direction. Well, DNA kind of put a tamper on that because DNA can only be changed some ways, not infinitely, but now we know that some places of DNA are much more likely to change than others. Well, what if one section of DNA was highly mutable and then mutated and is no longer highly mutable? That means that the mutation rate might change. The mutation rate in specific places might change. The mutation rate between one person and another, between one people group and another, between one time period and another, might not be the same. These things are not supposed to be true. They're not allowed in most evolutionary speculations, and yet we're staring them in the face as if uh, maybe we need to do some new thinking here about human history. In my own work, I've seen several examples of non-random mutations. I've seen it in mitochondrial DNA, I've seen it in Y-chromosomes, and I've seen it in COVID-19. I have personally done massive alignments of tens of thousands of mitochondria, thousands of Y-chromosomes, and 19,000 COVID-19 genomes. And I've seen some places where mutations are popping up at random, the same letter change again and again and again in unrelated individuals. So we know already that there are some places that are highly variable. And yet, what if it's more pervasive than people assume? Well, then you can't do things like look at Neanderthals and say, oh, this Neanderthal has an A at that location. All other modern humans have a G, but chimpanzees have an A. Therefore, the Neanderthals carry the ancestral allele. If you take two sequences that are 100% dissimilar, Maybe here you have a piece of DNA that's 100% it's like 100 A's in a row. And over here you have another piece of DNA that's 100 G's in a row. Now, those don't actually exist in the genome, but just imagine this. Over time, mutations are actually going to make these two sections more similar. Because every once in a while, one of these A's is going to mutate to a G, and one of these G's is going to mutate to an A. So even if they're 100% dissimilar at one point in time, well, eventually they're going to be about 25% similar. And when you look at Neanderthals, you look at the long branch lengths that they have for mitochondria and one poorly uh, assembled mitoc- uh, Y chromosome that we have, or just the the generic rest of the genome. We see that they have long branch lengths, but a fraction of that branch length is going point is pointing at some ancestral, you know, chimpanzee-like sequence, and about 75% of those branches are not. Well, if 75% of the mutation is unique to Neanderthal, about 25% I'm Totally rounding these things off, but about 25% are shared between Neanderthal and chimpanzee. That doesn't mean Neanderthals carry the ancestral allele. It might be that the ancestral allele just randomly mutated that direction. It also might be pointing at chimpanzees and Neanderthals just picking up the same mutation. In other words, maybe everyone, including chimpanzees, not that they're people, but humans, Neanderthals, and chimpanzees had an A or had a G, or whatever it was, and maybe chimpanzees and Neanderthals picked up a mutation. So there's all these possibilities. We cannot actually know what history is. We can only infer it, and your inference depends very strongly on your historical model. And I don't apply an evolutionary model. I think there's very good evidence that our genomes are young. I think there's very good evidence that we're not related to chimpanzees. Now I'm going to take one more really interesting brand new study that came, comes out of work done on supercoiled uh, small circular DNAs. You make a, a DNA ring that's only a, a few dozen to a few hundred letters long, and you can watch it wiggle. And using modern microscopes, you can image individual molecules. And so what scientists have done is they've, they've imaged DNA in a ring shape multiple times and made movies of the DNA wiggling and it is amazing. Now, the, the, the movie itself is amazing, and the technology is profound, and it's revealing all these things about the flexibility of DNA in some places and the inflexibility in others, and it's pointing us in the direction of physical mutation. In other words, DNA is more likely to break in some places, or DNA is more likely to open up and expose a, a C, which can be deaminated and become a T, in some places rather than other places. All this information is telling us that mutations are not random. There's another point to consider, and that is that some mutations might be completely disallowed. If a mutation kills you, that mutation's never gonna appear in the population because no individual can possibly carry it. If your mutation is extremely debilitating, it's more than likely gonna be lost, deleted, or naturally selected away. What if most mutations are lethal? What if most changes are not allowed? What if what we're seeing in the human population today is the majority of mutations that will ever occur. If DNA is not infinitely mutable, then evolution is in a box. And what we see is change over time. Yeah, sure. What we see is natural selection operating upon a deleterious mutations. Fine. But what we don't see is birds evolving from dinosaurs, humans evolving from monkeys, land animals evolving from fish those sorts of changes would be disallowed if mutations are constrained. Another problem here is that if only some mutations are allowed then evolution has to go in a certain direction. Well that's that's not acceptable. Evolution has to be able to do anything but if mutations are only specific you know some places change and some letters are more likely to change to other letters which you already know is true. Some mutations are simply more frequent because of chemistry then change over time is in a box. And that box fits comfortably in the creationist world that God created multiple different kinds of animals a few thousand years ago and they have been mutating ever since. And the genetic diversity that we see today is a combination of God created diversity and mutational accumulation over time. If we take away randomness, we take away a significant weapon the evolutionist has used to argue against the creator and the evidence is telling us that randomness is not true. If you like this type of information, you would like to see more of it online, please consider supporting this show. You can do so at biblicalgenetics.com. There's a link on the bottom to either buymeacoffee.com where I have mostly small uh, donations, but a couple larger ones, thank you people. But also on patreon.com monthly supporters. I have uh, Rob, thank you sir. I have Dave, you're awesome. But new supporters, Jonathan and Jeffrey. Thank you guys, you rock. You are helping keeping this show going. You know, as I study science and as I study the Bible and as I study genetics, I'm constantly reminded how complex nature is and what an amazing world God created. And I want to read to you Ecclesiastes 8.17. Then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Maybe there are aspects of science that we cannot discover because they're just ineffable to us. We can study it as much as we want, and yet it's going to remain out of our grasp. Perhaps there are aspects of history or genetics, DNA, that are simply too hard for humans to understand. Or perhaps, as we learn more and more and more, we're going to realize that what we thought in the past was completely outdated, and we should never have believed it. Well, apparently that's true about random mutations. We can no longer say they're random. And if they're not random, then evolution's got some explaining to do.